This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Odyssey, from Blue Collar, Ohio, to Super Bowl champion, and the author, Aaron Smith. And Aaron joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Aaron. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Well, we're excited to talk about Odyssey, from Blue Collar, Ohio, to Super Bowl champion. Let me read what you have written about your book. You say this... This book is about a regular guy who overcame more obstacles than he'd like to count in order to accomplish an audacious goal set as a third grader. The struggles he endured growing up in Norwood, Ohio, the thrilling adventure he found himself in while playing a game he loved, and the success he can now call himself will show readers that they shouldn't shy away from lofty goals. Well, the name of the man is Mark Edwards professional football player, Super Bowl winner. Who in the heck is Mark Edwards, and why did you write the book? <laughs> well, well, it's a, yeah, like I said in the, the, in the introduction of the book, the first uh, line is, you know, why did you write about Mark Edwards? Um, well, when I moved, I, I lived in California for a couple of years, and um, I, I had been a sports editor for several years before that. And when I moved back to Cincinnati, I wanted to. I was thinking about writing a book, um, and I wanted to compile a lot of a lot of inspirational stories. Because one of the best things about being a sports editor and a sports writer was coming across these stories of these kids that were overcoming obstacles, or you know, there's so many issues that they had to overcome, and they become successful in life. And I just think that's one of the best things about sports. And when I got back to Cincinnati, I, I approached area athletic directors um, and asked if they could submit some, you know, people that I could talk to um, and maybe get this story on, you know, moving. And then one of the athletic directors said simply in an email, you should write about Mark Edwards. Well, I'd been a football fan my whole life. I had, I had heard of Mark Edwards. I knew a little bit about who he was, but I was interested in finding out about why he, you know, could be, a, you know, a, a chapter in this, in this book. Uh, the more I talked to his former coach, Jim Barry, and then I called up Mark and talked to him, uh, the more I talked to them, I realized this story shouldn't be just part of a compilation, but rather that it could stand alone as, you know, as the subject of the book. So he wasn't an MVP in his league. Uh, he never rushed for 1,000 yards, but he is the type of regular guy that just attained great success in many areas of his life. Yeah, exactly. He he wasn't he wasn't these guys that you see on the headlines of uh, you know the newspapers every morning. But he's he's one of those guys that you know is makes up probably ninety percent of what NFL players are are people like Mark. These are the guys that they go home they go home with their see their family they see their kids they take care of them they go through the same struggles as you and I. And he didn't have this path was not just handed to him. He he had a lot of struggles at home growing up. Um, there was a divorce in his family, alcoholism in his family. Um, his father was not a major part of his life, and he became the first person in his family to go on to college. So yeah, there, this is a story that I think resonates with a lot of people, football fans and non-football fans. I think most people have seen the movie Rudy, of course, mm-hmm. about the walk-on at Notre Dame. And uh, Mark Edwards p- 
played at Notre Dame. I mean, Lou Holtz, his coach, and he was that type of a guy, like a Rudy. Right, and the interesting uh, connection between Rudy and Mark, um, they are the only two people in the entire history of the Notre Dame program to be carried off the field by their teammates. Uh, Rudy was the first one, obviously, in the mid-'70s after he got to his sack in the first game he ever played in. Mark uh, was carried off, the, carried off the field on the shoulders of his teammates after just an incredible game against rival USC at home, and he just had his best game of his career that night. Um, but, yeah, he's the, he's the same type of player, you know, unheralded. Um, you know, he was Mr. Football in the state of Ohio as a high school player, but he played at a small school. And when he went to Notre Dame, no one really gave him any, any chance to succeed. And then he broke the freshman rushing record for touchdowns at, at Notre Dame, um, became a captain at Notre Dame, but then no one thought he would ever play in the NFL. So he was that type of player that you, you never really got the credit until maybe after he did it. No one ever thought he could ever accomplish that. So you're presenting a book with a regular guy, just like one of us, who grew up on shaky ground in uncertain times, and he wasn't perfect, and his family was far from perfect. And you believe that we can relate to this, and this is why this story resonates so much with the reader. Yeah, especially especially now with the economy the way it is, I think a lot of people are struggling and trying to find some way to succeed and I think a lot of times you know people are being held back or they're feeling frustrated and they don't you know have that motivation to just break out of these cycles you know what's interesting is I had somebody who read this book and called me up and said you know this is this was really inspiring I'm going to have my son read it um, he's a he wants to be a football player and he's getting involved then he calls me up later and he goes you know what there's a high school football player um, in Kentucky he's going through similar issues I'm, and, and I, I know this book will inspire him so he bought another book and he's going to send it to this guy so he can read it and I think that that kind of developed as the goal of this book I think people can take so much from it that there are people going through these similar situations a lot of people going through these the, the same situations as Mark and I just think this gives them a little hope that says yes that you know, if you do make a goal and if you do work at it, you know you'll you can get there. And it doesn't have to be football, though. And because of your sports background, your sports writer, many years, you take us to places we've never gone as sports fans, like the inside view of a practice with Coach Lou Holtz. Yeah, and what's interesting, what I love to read in sports books and what I like to, you know, focus in the writing that I work on is, you know, as sports fans, you know, we see what's on TV, we see the games, we see, you know, what's presented to us on Sports Center, but we don't see what, what happens inside the clubhouse, the behind the scenes. We don't see what happens during practice and the relationships between the players and the players and their families. And we, when we get to know the, the, the football player on a more intimate level like that, to see what they're doing, you know, behind you know what's splashed on the TVs or in the front pages of the newspapers, I think you get to connect to them a lot better. And once you connect to these players, uh, it just makes what they do so much more important to you. And you can, like, I, like you had mentioned, it, it resonates with you and it inspires you. Now you also take us behind the scenes in the NFL scouting combine. Uh, give us a little preview of that with this through the eyes of Mark Edwards. Yeah, the scouting combine is is it's a very interesting four day event. Um, you know, it just recently became more mainstream as far as being covered. But basically, I mean, it, it is a veritable meat market. You know, you have scouts, you have coaches with you know, with clocks, and they're measuring speed, they're measuring you know body fat, they're 
putting you through, you know, Mark went through 30 physicals in the, in the span of one day. And that's, that, that tends to be, you know, a bit much. And he, all the while, he's got to be interviewed, and he's, and he's rushing from one room to another room to talk to the Washington Redskins, the 49ers. You know, all of these different teams want to know all this information about him. He's got to take drug testing. He's got to do on-field testing. He's got to take the Wonderlic test. And it's just, it's just a blur of four days, and it kind of shows a little microcosm of what this sport has become and what, and what people put into it. it it's, it's really unreal. And, of course, the emotional drama of the NFL draft, just sure. wondering if you're going to be picked all your life, you've been working toward this, and it comes right. down to the big moment. Right, yeah. I mean, just imagine, like you said, you know, working your whole life or something, and then on one day you'll figure out you know, if this dream is going to come true. And it's he he celebrated. He he went to a local bar here in Cincinnati, a, a bar and restaurant, and with all of his former teammates and friends and family, and they were all excited for the big the big moment. And here they are waiting and waiting. You know, after an hour, only four people have been drafted, and then you start to realize that this day is going to last forever. It's going to be a long, long day. But when you get that call, when you get that call from from a head coach or from a general manager that says, you know what, you're the next, you're the next person to wear this uniform. Um, the relief and just the just the stress of the day just gets lifted, and it's, it really is, you know, quite, quite a scene. And all the while, Mark is trying to raise a family and be the good husband and good father that he needs to be. Right, yeah, and and this and this was as important to him as playing in the NFL because, as I had mentioned before, he kind of grew up in an environment that wasn't that wasn't the most comfortable or the most stable, and he vowed to himself before he had even before he had even you know met Darcy, his wife, or had any kids, that if he was going to have a family, he was going to do it the right way. He was going to be involved and he was going to take care of them. And as I mentioned, this was as important, if not more important, to him than reaching the NFL. And and um, he is now he now has four kids. He's he's very involved. He's been married for 12 years. He he has kept up his end of the end of the promise. So he was going to give his all on the football field and then go home and give his all there. There's no doubt. Absolutely. Well, take us a little bit into the the run for Super Bowl champion and the part that Mark played in a little little preview. Well, yeah, he he was drafted by the 49ers, played for them for a couple of years, but then was traded to the Cleveland Browns, which was an expansion team at the time. And they were just—it was an awful, awful experience for him there. The coaches and, and it didn't, the, the philosophy didn't mesh. He didn't get very many, very much playing time, and he became a free agent after two years of just struggling in Cleveland. He decided to sign on with the New England Patriots, and they told him right away that he was going to have a major part in what they do. He was going to be their starting fullback. You know, he needed to be prepared to catch the ball out of the backfield. He needed to run, and most importantly, he needed to block. And um, just being wanted by a team was a stark contrast to his years in Cleveland. And um, it, it was just—it was a remarkable year because that was the year that uh, 9/11 occurred, and you know there was just a lot of stuff going on with that. And one of his teammates, Joe Andruzzi, his brothers were involved. They were firefighters in New York City, and just the drama surrounding that, um, you know, kind of galvanized that team. There, there were just a lot of struggles. Their starting quarterback, 
you know, was injured for the year, um, sheared an artery in his chest. It was just they overcame, they overcame so many things that year. It was almost a microcosm of Mark's whole life of overcoming obstacles to get to the next step. And uh, somehow, some way, they beat the heavily favored um, St. Louis Rams that year. It was just uh, it was an incredible year. How did you get to know Mark? Well, I, I got to know Mark. Um, I called. Uh, I was talking with his former high school coach, and he gave me his number. And I talked to Mark on a number of occasions. And then I went down, and uh, he lives in Jacksonville now. And I drove down and spent uh, spent about four days with Mark and his family in Jacksonville, and really got to know who he was as a person. He got to know who I was, and, and he, the more he got comfortable with me, the more he talked about his story. And it was a, it was a good four days of just you know getting to know who he was, and whether or not you know this story you know had legs. And the more I talked to him, it was just I thought this was a very it was an incredible story, and I thought one that a lot of people can resonate with. And um, yeah, it was just—it was a good four days. And family played an important part in Mark's uh, quest for success. Right. Yeah, he was um, along with the instability of his—you know—with his mother and his father. Um, his aunt Cheryl was was a godsend. She she was only, I believe, seven years older than Mark. Um, and she kind of took on, you know, a parental role as they as they both got older. She, you know, she would work at a fast food place and then save all the singles to give to Mark and his and his brother. Um, she was always there. She would go to the school if they ever needed to have a meeting with the principal or somebody at school. She she was the main contact for him. Um, and also his grandmother. His grandmother. Um, she took care of the day-to-day, you know, care at home. She cooked for him, helped him, you know, just supported him 100%, was always there for them. She, she was an amazing woman. And then there were a couple of behind-the-scenes type, type of guys. Uh, a man by the name, he just called himself Blackie, was a, was a father of, um, one of, Mark's, uh, one of Mark's aunt's friends. And he he would support them financially when there was no money elsewhere. And he provided stability with to Cheryl, kind of talked to her about family issues, about how to how to keep them you know above water. And there were just so many of these little you know behind the scenes factors that just helped keep Mark on track. It was really it was really incredible when when somebody wasn't able to provide, there was somebody else there to step up. And I think that was extremely important in who Mark is today. The title of the book, Odyssey, from Blue Collar, Ohio, to Super Bowl champion, the story of Mark Edwards, just a regular guy like you and me, but was focused, determined, and took the high road and gained great success. Well, Aaron, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can visit my uh, website. It's www.aaronmsmith.com. It'll have links to all the various Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Author House on how, to, um, on how to publish a book, or how to purchase a book, excuse me. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you, Aaron. Sure, I appreciate your time. That was Aaron Smith. He is the author of his book, Odyssey, from Blue Collar, Ohio, to Super Bowl champion. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. 
Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guests teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith and he's number one. Now you might think Juan's youth was sad because right. he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the Juan's never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith and he's number one. It's That Keith Wan Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central. Every week, That Keith Wan Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wan and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWann.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one, everybody back to the code. Don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at eight seven central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book: Recipes for the Body and Soul, and the author. Glenavie Curtis and Glenavie joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Glenavie. Hello. Good to have you with us. Now I'm going to read just something that you have written, and it's on the back cover of your book. It says, "Recipes for Body and Soul" is an attempt to awaken in its readers the importance of feeding the spiritual as well as the physical entities of the human body. The recipes for the physical body, some old and some new, are written with easy-to-understand instructions and are time and home-tested. The recipes for the soul are very old, beginning with the creation of the world. They are also very contemporary and will be nourishing to the end of the world." Well, that's everybody needs this book. That's for sure. We all need to be nourished, body and soul. So, congratulations! And what prompted you to write this, Glenavie? Uh, I was prompted many years ago when I was teaching. My students wanted me or encouraged me to write a book. Uh, I didn't give it much thought at that time, but later on, I thought these recipes are piling up. So I need to organize them, and that's when I started. Uh, friends and family have been eager to to get this book, and uh, so uh, that's basically what it is. Except most of these recipes in this book are for the body, because that's what I concentrated on for so long at first. And then after a while, after doing some soul searching and reading the scriptures relating to this, I came to the conclusion that food for the soul is better for us 
is more necessary than food for the body. And this is uh, noted in, in Matthew the sixth chapter. And, and Jesus says for, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And he, that's, that's when he is talking about uh, food and clothing and shelter and so forth. Well, you've been working at this for some 70 years. You're 80 years young, and you started almost. <laughs> almost, and you started as a young girl cooking with your mom. I'm sure you learned a lot from your mom. Give us some of the secrets your mom taught you. Well, first of all, you know, we just we just cooked. By, by guess, you know, with a handful of this and a teaspoon of that and so forth. And that is brought out in my book. And I learned that the best, the best thing I learned from her was that food is for sharing. And I grew up in a very hospitable home. And you don't, you don't forget that. And that is one thing that my husband and I followed through with all of our 57 years together. And it has been a joyous ride. Well, as some say, there's no better way to enjoy life than enjoying uh, a good meal with some friends. Yes, yes. Family and friends, right? Family and friends. Absolutely, and it's how we have met many new friends, too. You know, someone comes along, and a grandchild will say, Mama, may I bring so-and-so to your table for supper? And it's great. It's just been, like I said, very wonderful. Well, through the years, you have taught home economics uh, and family living and the Bible as well. So you have been a teacher, a certainly a, an experienced uh, teacher, a great teacher, and you also, for a while, you were a home tester of recipes for General Mills, who is famous. We all know the Betty Crocker cookbooks. That must have been some experience. It was a delightful thing. It was, it was a growing thing for my family, too. And so when I would make a recipe that they sent me, or even a whole meal, uh, we all were in on this. And I got their input as to whether it was good or bad or delicious. Or, and, and I reported that to uh, the company. And uh, and they still remember this. My children still remember what a good thing this was for us to have. Well, this book is some 400 pages long, filled with recipes, uh, appetizers, breads, breakfast and brunch, cakes, candy, casseroles, cookies, desserts, frostings and fillings, meats and main dishes, pie, salads, dressing, sauces, Soups, stews, chowders, chilies, and vegetables. There is the whole thing, ladies and gentlemen, and it is filled with, in fact, boy, you start talking about that, you get hungry, don't you? 
right. Well, but one, there's a few in this book, and we're going to talk about one right now. As you called your signature recipes, the one you're most famous for, tell us about Mother Yeast Rolls. Yes, and Mother is my mother. <laughs> when I first got married... I was cooking, and and I was trying to make yeast rolls, but they didn't turn out like hers. So on a weekend when I went home, she made the rolls, and I measured everything that she put in these rolls, yes, in this roll recipe. And this is how this recipe evolved. And it has stayed with me. Now, that was, you know, that was almost 60 years ago that I got this from my mother. And she was not measuring anything. She just, she knew what she was putting in the recipe. And they turned out good. So I, that's what I wanted. And my family and friends who have come to our table have enjoyed these yeast rolls. Well, it's uh, more art form than science, isn't it? When, especially when you talk about a sprinkle of this and a pinch of that. <laughs> Absolutely. My grandmother taught me how to make cornbread like that, and she was blind. My goodness. If so. She was blind, and she just told, I was a little girl, and she told me, you know, you, you do a handful of this and a double handful of that, <laughs> and... And a pink, and oh, something about the size of an egg, you know. Uh huh. And it was. Uh, I I cherish those things. Oh. I cherish heritage recipes. Sure, my goodness, yes. Sir. Well, that's wonderful. You've had so many great experiences. Give us. Uh, we'll, we'll take some time here and talk about some of your favorite recipes. Let's start with uh, one. Tell us about a favorite recipe. Okay, that is not hard at all. I have so many favorite recipes that have served us very well. Uh, A meat recipe is country ribs. And it's on page 227, Steve. And it it is so good. It's always a hit with everybody. Country ribs. Country ribs. And believe it or not, it has a half cup of grape jelly in it. Oh, my goodness. No one would ever suspect that, right? Exactly. Is that exactly. what makes it just uh, just the, the uh, specialty instead of just another country rib meal? Instead of just another barbecue sauce. Right. It is, yes, it is a, a very good recipe. And that's you what, want another one? Yes, in just one moment. And that's what okay. uh, makes uh, recipes so special when you have that one item in it that just sets it apart, just like you just talked about with grape jelly and country ribs. Who would ever think of that? That's right. That's right. Give us another and, one. Uh, okay. Um, one, uh, another one is apple butter pumpkin pie. Mm. And it it is uh, just pumpkin pie, but it has the addition of apple butter in it. Mm. And it is a delightful change from just the regular pumpkin pie. Now, why apple butter? 
Well, it is the same consistency, so it goes well with the pumpkin, and it gives it just an, a touch of another flavor, which is apple. And so it, uh, that's about all I can understand about right, it, except right. that it's my favorite pumpkin pie. Your favorite. It is my favorite. Now, yes. that that word you just mentioned, consistency, that's important, isn't it, to, to find oh, that consistency when you're experimenting? That's exactly right, Steve. You know, um, you said something a while ago that cooking is an art form, and that is so correct. And that's the way I taught it to all of these girls and boys that I taught. It is an art form. It also is a science, and that's what you're talking about there. When, when you mix things together, they must have the right consistency to taste and feel good in your mouth. And that's the fulfillment and the excitement of eating good food when you can have the same dish that, you know, that you're used to, but now this time it tastes a little different. There's a different kind of a flavor, and it's very appealing. That's correct. Give us yeah. another one. Give us another one. Okay. Um, I'm looking at some of these favorites I have written down. Well, one of them is beef vegetable soup, and that sounds pretty ordinary. And I had never seen, I think, a recipe for beef vegetable soup. I never used a recipe for that. And one day, a couple of my grand granddaughters said, Mama, we want your recipe for beef vegetable soup. Well, like my mother, I did not have a recipe. So I made one. And this is what evolved from that uh, situation. So all my granddaughters now and grandsons have my recipe for beef vegetable soup as well as other favorites that I put in a little book for each one of them. Well, how nice. Now, this beef beef vegetable soup, what makes it so unique? It's pretty ordinary, pretty ordinary, but it it is so it is so warming. In, in the fall like this right now, you know, and in, uh, in the wintertime to have this. And this is uh, it's just one of those things that you can just add to or you can not have something and you can and leave it out or you can substitute. Uh, and I give examples of all those things. It's just one of those old standbys. Yes, it is. I can remember my grandmother and grandfather and going up to the farm for dinner, and it was, mm-hmm. it was such a treat. I don't know, there's something about the, the farm and when Grandma made something, right? Yes, and it's, it's nice that you even mentioned the farm. I have never lived anywhere else but on a farm. And my grandchildren and great-grandchildren just delight in coming to the farm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, we have time for one more, Glenavie. Okay. Well, this one is is unusual, and this is uh, one that I originated, and it's homemade croutons. I love to have croutons, good-tasting and good-textured croutons for my salad. And so I concocted this, 
and it is something that I really enjoy, and uh, I know you can buy them, but I haven't tasted any that taste as good <laughs> right. as homemade. Well, when, as homemade. I, when I think of croutons, I just think of something crunchy because they usually don't taste very good at all. I mean, they don't. there isn't very oh. much taste at all. Well, you need to look at this recipe because <laughs> it has <laughs> it has Parmesan cheese, it has uh, herbs and garlic and ah, butter, of course. Yes. All of those good things. Well, we appreciate so much you putting together this great recipes for the body and soul. Glenavie, tell us how to get your book. Well, uh, it is at Amazon. Dot com and Barnes and Noble. Uh, I am in the process. Uh, well, I already have a website, and uh, so it can. You know, eventually, you will be able to order it from my website. What is your website? It is www.recipesforbodyandsoul.com. Well, it just sounds delightful, and we always need something just to make the meal taste better. And folks like you that are such experts and artists, as we've talked about, this is art as well as science. We thank you Mm -hmm. and uh, know that you will serve a lot of people well. Thanks so much, Glenavie. And I thank you. That was Glenavie Curtis. She is the author of her book, Recipes for the Body and Soul. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, The Educated Heart, and the author is Janet Logan, and Janet joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Janet. 
Hi, how are you? Good to have you with us. Now, I'm going to read a few things that you have written about your book, just to give an just a uh, overview of what we're going to talk about. You say this, a humorous man and an innocent child taught a wounded heart how to love again. It's, you also write, it's a love story, but not a romance novel, because those are written by a formula. This one has many unexpected twists and turns. And of course, we're talking about relationships, we're talking about struggles, uh, we're talking about tragedy, uh, it's, it's got everything, but we can tell everyone right now, it also has a happy ending, which is reassuring, <laughs> because... A lot of times in life, we don't have happy endings, do we? That's right. Well, what motivated you, Janet, to uh, write this this uh, women's fiction, as you call it? Yes. It, uh, my former sister-in-law was previously married to a man who had been married before. And he and his wife had a son we'll call Tommy. When Tommy was 15 months old, his mother scalded his entire lower body as a punishment for wetting his pants. The little boy died in the hospital of pneumonia, a common complication after severe burns, especially in very old or very young patients. And that child's father mourned his son's death for the rest of his life. And it made a tremendous impression on me to think that a mother could actually do that to her own child. Now, the characters in this book, we have Norman as one of the main characters and Bobby, correct? That's correct. Well, tell us about Norman. Well, Norman is uh, is a big teddy bear of a man with a very deep, beautiful speaking voice. Not such great looks, but a zany sense of humor. And this, this is the kind of man that most women would find irresistible. And readers may be angry at Bobby when she rejects him in order to marry his handsome friend, Philip. They may even say serves her right when Philip turns out to be a womanizer, but they, they will empathize when he and his last girlfriend are murdered by the girlfriend's estranged husband, and Bobby is compelled by a deathbed promise to adopt the baby that they created. Well, a very complex story, uh, obviously filled with all kinds of emotions. When we think about Norman, as you say, just this teddy bear of a man with a zany sense of humor, what's the big rejection, the reason for the rejection? Uh, is it just that he doesn't look? He wasn't look, he interested doesn't look? in marriage. Ah. He, he didn't want to get married. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, he had... Uh, he had lost his dad when he was a teenager, and he had uh, three younger siblings, and his mother treated him almost like a husband. But she gave him a lot of uh, things to do, helping to discipline the children, you know, the younger children, and uh, paying the household bills. So he had sort of been treated to the the mundane side of marriage, and he, when she talked about getting married, he said, I've been there and done that. So he wasn't interested. 
so then when she met his friend, who was very, very handsome, and his friend gave her a big rush and uh, wanted to marry her, so she she succumbed to his charms and then lived to regret it. So was it something that she found out right away about Philip, the, his uh, his affairs on the side? Well, she kind of suspected it almost from the beginning, but then uh, there was an incident where he gave her a beautiful uh, summer cottage in Cape May, New Jersey, as a birthday gift on the first anniversary of their marriage. And so she was thrilled until she found out that the realtor who sold it to him had been having an affair with her husband, not for just a few months, but for years. So this kind of took the edge off her pleasure in the gift. Right. It was rather devastating, that new knowledge, obviously. It was devastating. Right. Now, tell us about this little girl, this baby, and that whole situation. Uh, What, you know, the complications of the birth of this baby. Well, the baby was not due for uh, almost three months. Well, yeah, almost two months, actually. And so... uh, she she knew the a woman who had um, been having the affair with her husband. It turned out to have been his secretary in his uh, business, and so she was acquainted with her. In fact, she had attended their wedding when uh, this woman got married, and so uh, when she went to the hospital to see her, the woman was dying from uh, the being shot by her husband and uh, so she she had a long conversation with her and the woman insisted that she wanted her to take this child and raise it as if it was her own and she didn't want to do it she wanted the woman's parents to take it and she said they will never do it because they are so angry and so humiliated by what she had done that they she said i know they'll reject the idea she didn't want her child to be put up for adoption or foster care so very reluctantly bob agreed to the idea that she would take the child well, that and was, it was very, very difficult for right. her. She didn't even want to look at the baby. Right, because it reminded her of that whole mess, didn't it? Not only that, the baby looked just like her husband. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the husband who had cheated on her. So every time she looked at the baby, she saw her husband's face looking back at her. So she, she hired a nanny to take care of the baby because she didn't want to have anything to do with it. Hmm. And then a very terrible tragedy, a very terrible thing happened with the nanny. Yes. uh, When she was in Florida uh, attending a wedding of her her stepsister, um, the nanny absconded with the baby. And uh, so when she... When she came back home again, Norman was with her because he had attended the wedding also. And so together they discovered that uh, the nanny had disappeared and abducted the baby. And uh, so they ended up calling the FBI because they discovered that the nanny had gone out of state 
with baby, so they could were able to call the FBI in to help search for the child. It took four months before they found her. So was the nanny just trying to uh, steal the child for herself, or was she going to try to sell the child? No, she wanted the baby for herself because she had lost a baby herself. She, you know, she had uh, given to her birth to a baby who didn't live, so she wanted this. She gave this baby the same name because she wanted it to be her own child. So it was, you know, kind of touching, except that she was a very uh, tough person, a very brutal person. And when the baby became a toddler and started to do things that all toddlers do and developed a personality of her own, the, the nanny couldn't put up with it. She couldn't stand it. She was always disciplining the child and being very harsh with her. And eventually, the nanny, due to circumstances, uh, uh, well, the, the woman had to get a job, and she was a nurse by profession, and uh, she couldn't get a job until the child was toilet trained and could be put into a nursery school. So she was trying to forcibly toilet train the child, and so finally she lost her temper, and she did what I had described earlier. She scalded the the little girl from the waist down as a punishment, wetting her pants. So that was the... So it turned out that the child had to be hospitalized, and that's where... She was when uh, Norman and Bobby finally found her again. There are many themes running at the same time here, emotional themes that you have created. Uh, It's a complex story. Yeah, it's a complex story. That's the way life is, though. That's the way you, (laughs) that's one of the reasons you wrote it this way. That's right. Yeah, nothing is ever black and white. There are usually all shades of gray. You could feel sorry for the nanny for having lost her child. And she was also widowed. And But then after she did what she did, you know, you, feel, you don't feel sorry for her anymore. Well, we're not going to talk about the happy ending and how things come together, but uh, we'll leave that to... The reader to find out for himself, herself. The book opens, though, with a school shooting. You you were bringing literally <laughs> the uh, news of the day into the book. Right. Well, Bobby is a school teacher, um, a middle school teacher. And so that was uh, the, the very beginning of the book was when she was threatened and actually shot by one of her students, but fortunately she was shot in her arm, so it was it was not fatal. And, of course, this led to her going to uh, Florida to recuperate from her wounds after she was shot. And uh, so during that time was when she met Norman. And uh, because Norman was... Uh, the family that was very, very good friends with her her parents. So they actually met at a Passover Seder. 
So how did this, all of this affect Bobby's uh, faith in God? Well, she, uh, she had so many bad things that happened to her that she kind of lost her faith in God. And uh, when Hannah, the, the little girl, was in the hospital, they, there was a, t- a moment, there was a few hours span when they didn't think that Hannah was going to live because she did contract pneumonia from the scalding and her temperature was rising and so she was sitting with Norman in the hospital and he went down to the chapel which was on the main floor or the actually the the ground floor of the hospital and uh, so she said do you really think it helped so he said well it couldn't hurt and so she she looked at the baby and she said, well, she's no better. Her temperature's still going up. And Norman said, give God a chance. I just got back from the chapel. He said, uh, you know, he, ours wasn't the only prayer that we heard today. So she went down to the chapel herself later on. And she very awkwardly said a prayer because she had not been observant for a long time but she did say a prayer and when she got back upstairs the child's temperature had dropped and she felt that well maybe there really is a god one of the messages in your book uh, just talks about this maternal love Uh, just give us a comment on that what the importance of maternal love and where it comes from well maternal love does not come from genes it comes from the heart because in the very beginning Bobby did not believe she could ever come to love this child and then when she felt that the child was going to be taken away from her by the terrible circumstances that occurred she realized how much the little girl had come to mean to her and she she did say a prayer and she said, please, you know, I'm so, so sorry for the mis- so many mistakes that I've made in my life. I've, uh, I'm sorry that I rejected Norman. I'm sorry I married Philip. I'm sorry I hired the nanny that I did. And, but I really would like to have a second chance. I would like to have another chance to be that baby's mother. The title of the book, The Educated Heart, and the author is Janet Logan. Janet, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can order it from Borders, or you can order it from um, Barnes & Noble, or you can order it from the publisher, which is Author House. Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Okay, well, it was a pleasure, and I certainly hope that this will help people to know about my book and want to buy it that was janet logan she is the author of her book the educated heart